So the psalmist declares with great joy, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting, his mercy is forever. I want to give a shout out uh, for God's loving kindness this week, because midweek here in our church, we had two members in severe crisis in the hospital, Bill Devon and Jeff Thompson. And I'm just giving God praise today that not only are they both out of the hospital, but they are both home. And besides that, we have Jeff right here in the front row of the church. He was in the hospital just yesterday. And I want to give God praise for what God has done. And uh, he, uh, Jeff tells me God has met him in the hospital in a special way. Because this is what God does. When you are most hurting in life, God meets you. God will meet you and God will help you. Uh, the, the, there were so many words in Chris's songs this morning that just rang so true to me about how God rescues us. Not, not in the sense that, that he makes things easier. He rescues us in the sense that he walks through us and in us and with us in every trial of life. So, so glad, Jeff, to see you sitting there, totally. So I got this text, and I don't know if this is something I should share or not about a, about a preacher. It's a quote. I got this text yesterday, and the quote was that the job of a good preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> now, <laughs> if, I had, if I had written that quote, I probably would have said a little something a little different, that the job of a good preacher is to comfort the afflicted, but to exhort or encourage or inspire or challenge or convict. I don't really want to afflict anyone, although when you read church history and you read the best revivals, especially the Great Awakening, oftentimes in the middle of the message of a John uh, Whitfield or somebody like this, uh, Jonathan Edwards, People would run forward in the middle of the message, screaming for salvation and crying out to God, and they were afflicted by the Holy Spirit, afflicted in the sense of a deep conviction. So, all right, well, most of you know that uh, my wife and I just returned kind of from a two-tier vacation uh, this past week. We took a seven-day cruise to Alaska, and then we finished up in Seattle, rented a car, and we drove two hours to a little town in the northwest Washington called La Connor, where my brother has a house on the water right by the San Juan Islands. And then during our vacation, Nikki was t talking to me about cruise ships. And I was reminded when Chris sang the song, uh, Give Me Jesus, When I Come to Die, Give Me Jesus. And Nikki was talking about cruise ships, and she said something that I'd never thought about, that every cruise ship has a jail, and every cruise ship has a morgue. Now, I, I thought about that, uh, and I thought, I wonder if that's true. So I Googled it when I got home. Not that I don't trust my wife, but I Googled it to find out, like, how does this work? And so uh, on cruise ships, by the way, I found out that there's an average of one person passing for, e for every cruise. So they have to have some place to, to 
lie the body until they get to the next port. And then there's criminal activity on cruise ships also. And security sometimes will have to arrest somebody for assault or for a burglary or stealing or something's happened. And so they have what they call a holding cell. This, just to say, as an example of the condition of the human race, that sin has entered the world and the reality of evil and that you and I every single day are dealing with the consequences of man's sins. And all of scripture is a story from the very beginning of man failing and disobeying God and then the consequences throughout all of human history right up to this very moment of the, of the condition of the human race and what we have to deal with. And all you have to do is turn on your news page on your iPad or iPhone or on your computer and you'll just see a screen full of the human condition, full of all the problems, all the issues that this world faces from wars to, uh, to all kinds of, of, uh, of uh, tragedies that we read about. And how many of you this morning could I ask, how many of you this morning, today even, are facing something very, very difficult for you? How many of you this past week faced things that were very, very hard for you? Now, Nikki and I got back on Tuesday night, and on Wednesday, I had to go through two or three things that were just knee-buckling, that were just very, very painful I'm just here to say, as I look at Jeff here in the first row again, I'm just here to say that God is a God who sees us through, carries us through, that we can have confidence in God. And I think a lot of this plays in into our own personal weaknesses and our own personal failures, because a lot of those things, the things that we mess up, the things in which we have failed God, they give us an opportunity to trust God and to help us when we find ourselves in that, in that weak place. So uh, my message this morning is designed, I have a design this morning in this message, uh, to, to do more than uh, uh, help you through a problem, uh, to do more than help you survive a problem. This message is designed to help you prevail in those problems and then enter into a supernatural victory that God wants to give you, that you can rise above the difficulties of life and you can have an extraordinary walk with God in the midst of the hardest issues uh, that, you, that you face. Amen. Thank you. So, <laughs> amen. So how many here would like to see uh, yourself living above the circumstances of life. Isn't that, isn't, it, I mean, all, all of us want to do that. And, and you've heard me say this uh, a lot of times over the years that you can either live here above your circumstances or you can live under your circumstances. It's, it's kind of your choice. It's kind of your choice. You can live under your circumstances in anxiousness and worry and fretting and pressure, and bitterness, and disappointment, and discouragement, and all those things. 
Or you can live up here and choose to trust God, to believe what the Word of God says, to live in faith, and to live in hope. So this message is for you who have been struggling. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, I'm, I, I, and I say this really most of the times that I speak, I'm, this message is for me as much as, as it is for you, because I don't always live up here. Oftentimes I'll, I'll live down here. So I think a good place for us to start, like, so what do we do, what do we do when, when all, you know what, breaks loose in our life? How, how, how do we respond to that? We're getting beat up, and we're under severe pressure, and everything is going south. Uh, what do we do? I think the first thing that we need to understand is what are the root issues of the challenges and the problems and the difficulties of life and spiritual warfare. And, of course, spiritual warfare is the theme of the last chapter of Ephesians, and I'm going to be looking at that, especially I'll be looking at prayer, prayer, which is the kind of the bookend to the section on spiritual warfare. We'll be looking at that. But what plays into it? What are the root issues that play into the troubles and problems of life? Well, there are three of them. Scripture gives us three root issues to our problems in life, and there they are, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to briefly touch on the first two, because I want you, uh, I want you to understand uh, a little better what are some of the reasons that you and I will fail, because we will get tripped up sometimes. So I'm going to briefly mention the world and the flesh, and then I'll spend a, a lot more time on the section on the devil, because it plays into our last uh, uh, passage in Ephesians. So, here is the classic passage on the world. Now, when I, I'm going to read this passage, the word world here does not mean the created world. This is not what it means. It's not talking about the beauty of nature. It's not talking about the creation. The world that is mentioned here is a system. The world is a system that eliminates God or replaces God with something else. This is what the word world means here in this passage right here. So love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So these are the things that we all deal with. The world, the system of the world, uh, the, the, the enemy takes, takes the things of this world. Enemy takes the things of this world and seeks to put them in a place that they replace God, that they exclude God. And so you see the world described here as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful Pride of life. And you can just turn your TV on or you can go to a film and you can see all of this in 3D motion. Whoops, where am I going? I'm going back up here. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting excited. Yeah, so, <laughs> so now, now we are, <laughs> we are to enjoy, I kind of like that. I'll do that again. <laughs> I get excited up here. I was thinking of the, uh, what was the movie where the guy was running around the track glorifying God when he was running? Uh, chariots of Fire. Yeah, chariots of fire. Yeah, I was 
thinking of that, that the, the, joy, the, the joy I get when I speak. I, I, I feel the presence of God when I speak. I love to be able to share with you. Yeah, put the passage back up, um, man. Thank you very much. So these things, uh, it's not that, it's not that the pleasures of life are wrong. It's when those pleasures take the place of God that they become a problem. And so celebrity and the, the, the desire to, uh, that, that you love pleasure and these things begin to replace God or your own selfish ambitions. Anything that, that, so, so you can always know what the, when you're getting dealt with in this arena, because God starts getting pushed into the background of your life. And these things start uh, rising up, you know, and, 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 and you hear words about uh, humans, you know, like, uh, like, like they're, they're phenoms, you know, or they're godlike, you know, or they're superhuman and these sort of things. And I'm the first one to love talent, you know, I, 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 I love the sawdust and I see talent around me all the time. And my wife's a great artist and my brother-in-law is a great artist and I love, I love talent. But you can, you can like, you can make a talent a god. You can make the people who do things, like make a good film or sports stars, you can make them godlike and they all of a sudden, all of a sudden they become your all instead of God being your all. So this is a warning to us to be careful of what the world puts out there to draw us away from God. Again, the, the sense of the word world here is anything that would replace God or exclude God. And usually it's the boastful pride of, of the human person and, the, and the, the media and the news and all these things that elevate people over God or just completely eliminate God. Secondly is the flesh. Next slide, please. From Galatians 5, 16 uh, to 21, this is what you and I do. The flesh is our human nature. The flesh is our carnal nature. The flesh is that part of us that has a bent towards sin. It has a bent towards self. And the classic passage is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21, where the Apostle Paul is exhorting the church in Galatia to walk in the Spirit, to stay strong in the Lord, to keep their eyes off their own uh, carnal desires. And here, here he writes it like this. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires, the cravings of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, what God wants. For these oppose each other, so you do not do the things your sinful nature desires. You know that that desire you have to, if it, if it says, don't walk on the grass, you want to walk on the grass. The speed limit is 50, you want to go 70. It's that, that bent in us to disobey, to like get our own way. So, live by the spirit and not the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are clear. Adultery, fornication, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, hate, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, drunkenness, revelries. Know this, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is the next thing after the world that challenges us, that impairs us? And every single one of you in this room right now deal with all of these issues, uh, uh, one issue or another, one or more. 
We all deal with this. And I'm the first one to admit it. I'm the first one to admit it. All of us struggle with some of these things right here. All of us have failed in some of these things. And God forgives us and God helps us. But there's always consequences to falling into this uh, list of things. And, And so, just to let you know, you see that word anger right there? That, that's what I, that's what I deal with at times. I, I can become ang- angry. And so, uh, I just, I just dealt with that. I just told you we were on this trip. And, uh, and we were on this trip and, and, uh, we were driving on Whidbey Island actually, where a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, uh, former friends are living now. We were driving Whidbey Island, and I got behind a car. I call these these people putzers. I got behind a putzer. A putzer is somebody who drives 15 to 20 miles an hour slower than the speed limit, and they have their cell phone right here, and you can see it, you know. And I'm like, Nikki's next to me, you know, and, I'm, and she can feel this thing coming up in me, you know, this... this uh, I can't say the bad words I want to say because my wife's in the front seat. But, but I, but, but I, I, we come to a stoplight, you know, and and the, and there's an ingress ingress lane on the right for cars making a right-hand turn. It's very short, you know, and this, I'm behind this car. There's 20 cars behind me that we've been going behind this putzer for so long. And so when the light turns green, I floor our rental car and I go around the car on the right. Yeah. I break the law. I almost go off the pavement. Now, I, I, I boast I boast about the fact that Nikki and I were together for 18 days. We didn't have one fight. 24 hours a day, we were together. Not one fight. Not because of me. Not because of me. It's because of her. So, so we were right on the verge of the first fight. And, I, and, and the Lord just spoke to me. He said, Jay, you just got to stop it. You know, you have got... So I began talking to Nikki and talking to myself. The rest of the trip, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to drive courteously. If, if, there's a, if there's a putzer, I'm just going to bless the putzer. I'm going to love the putzer. I'm going to go, I'm going to stay three lengths back of the putzer and let the people behind me get mad at me instead of the putzer. Uh, and I did. I talked to all the rest of the trip. I said, oh, Lord, thank you. We have this slow car ahead of us. Just thank you guys so much. Bless them. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky I didn't get a $500 ticket, by the way. So that's what I, that's what I deal with. Okay, so, so adultery, fornication, sex outside of marriage, sensuality, think pornography, idolatry, anything that replaces God, sorcery, the root word of sorcery is Pharmakia, which is drug use, the use of drugs. Hate, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition. I deal with that all the time. Drunkenness and revelries. And so the key word for this right here is the word practice. All of us are going to fail in this one way or another, but we don't want to practice it. And if there's anybody here practicing this stuff, time to stop today. Time to stop. Because you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I don't quite know what that means. I can't give you a the clearest picture possible. But it says, clear, know this, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want all of you to be in the kingdom of God. I want myself to be in the kingdom of God. But the God sets up these 
little road signs to us. Be careful not to do this. All right. Now to our main section, which is Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. I'm just going to read through and uh, say a couple of things about three sections of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, all of you probably know, this is the classic passage on spiritual warfare. There are a couple other key places. John 10, 10, where Jesus says the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 10, also, where Paul talks about our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual, and it goes on and on there. But I want to uh, read, at least, as we finish Ephesians, and by the way, I think the messages in Ephesians that Jeff and some others gave have been the best messages that our church has had for a long, long time. I think it's been an excellent uh, book for us, an excellent series for us, and I think we've learned a lot. Chapter 5 was like one of the highlights of the 20 years I've been here. Just the teaching in that chapter was just really superb. So, the first section here is the warning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may withstand the schemes. And so I, I stretched this word out here, schemes that got my amplified out. The schemes, the plans, and the tricks of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. But it's against the rulers of evil, the powers of darkness, and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the unseen world. Now I know that when you and I get into a, a relational breakdown with people or another person, we think that uh, it, the problem is that person, that there's something wrong with that person, uh, everything about that person bugs me and, and, and what they've said hurts me, and all the things in relational breakdown, we're always looking at the other person. But I'm telling you, you guys, there is something behind spiritual uh, uh, relationships. There's something behind physical relationships. There's something underneath that we don't see. There's a whole unseen realm that we wrestle not against other people, although we do to a certain degree. Of course, we are in a conflict with another person or we're in a conflict with other people. But I can tell you this, that in my life, whenever I've had a conflict with a person or other people, it's always to divide or always to separate. This is... So when it talks here about schemes and plans and tricks, usually, usually that means that there's the potential for division or separation. The enemy loves to separate. He loves to separate our friendships. He loves to separate our marriages. He loves to separate us from our church. He loves to separate us from this or from that. That doesn't mean everything that we might be separated from is bad. Sometimes it's good. But many times the focus of the enemy is to divide. And when you're sensing that happening, that, that a primary part of spiritual warfare is the enemy, and, 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 and all of you, you know what I'm talking about. You know the difficult relationships that are hard for you. There's an enemy. I mean, the person that you're dealing with, he may be obnoxious or she may be obnoxious, they, they may have qualities that just bug you, and, and, and rightfully so. And they may be like, like, like mean-spirited or whatever. But there's something else going on behind that. And, and, and I've said this many times. The most difficult people in your life 
are the most needed people in your life. They're the people that God will soften you to care for and to love because they're not easy to care for and love. And this is the way Jesus is. Jesus loves us when we're at our worst, right? He loves us when we're at our worst as much as he loves us when we're at our best. So spiritual warfare here, which is the theme of this section, the enemy, his schemes and his plans almost always are to divide, to destroy, and to kill. This is what the enemy's after. Enemy's after destruction. He's after hurt. He's after division. He's after separation. Next section. Section uh, verse 13 of chapter 6. This is our defense. God gives us a spiritual armor. And here the spiritual armor is listed. And in our first section here, verses 13 to the first half of verse 17, 17a, are the, def- the defensive measures that God gives us as believers to protect us. Now, I'm, now I know that you're going to think I'm going to be I'm crazy when I say this, you guys, but I'm not crazy. I have seen, I have seen people. I've walked in and seen people full of arrows. I've seen it in the spirit. They're just full of arrows. They've just taken hit after hit after hit because they have not taken up the full armor of God. Therefore, verse 13 of chapter 6, take up the full, and I put that in four cap letters, take up the full armor of God in order to resist the enemy so that in the day of battle you will stand firm. And you can know that day of battle may be most every day of your life, that you can stand firm in the midst of the fiercest of warfare because you have the full armor of God on you. So, you're going to notice words here for the rest of this message, words like stand and watch and be alert and be steadfast and gird. These are all like battle words. These are all words of warfare. We are in war, you guys. You know that prayer room up there in the morning? It's a war room. We pray because we're in a war against an enemy that wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your kids. This is like a little deal here. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but cheer up. I will overcome this world. So we are grateful we're overcomers, but we can also be defeated if we don't take what God's given us. Amen? God's, you've got to take what God gives you. You can't wake up in the morning and expect, oh, this is going to be a great day and just walk right out the door. You've got to put on the full armor of God because every day you don't know. And the book that Jeff often refers to uh, from C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, is a brilliant book that describes the machinations and the conversations of demons behind the scenes who are trying to figure out how can we mess Mike up. How can we mess any of you up? Trying to figure out, let's get that day of this person who, who loves God, let's get his day messed up. So be steadfast. Girding your waist with truth. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Shotting your feet with the peace that comes from the gospel. Take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles and some translations say arrows and darts, of the evil one, 
and put on the helmet of salvation. So here we have all the defensive armament. Now, I, we've been praying up in the upper room for many, many years, and most of you know that. And we do a lot of things right up there. But there's one thing, and I can see a bunch of, see John here and Robin, I see a bunch of people. One thing that we don't do very well is we're not, as a corporate group in the morning, we're not putting on the full armor of God. I may put on the full armor of God myself in the morning, but I don't do it always. And so like I said earlier, I'm speaking to myself. You've got to put on the full armor of God. Jay, you've got to put on the full armor of God. Because there is a scheme or a plan that's coming against us to trip us up. How many of you have ever been tripped up? How many of you have been messed up before? It's because the enemy has managed to hatch plans and they've succeeded because we've not been prepared. So we gird ourselves with truth. We believe what God's told us about ourselves. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. That righteousness comes from God. God has imparted to us the righteousness of Christ. I've talked about the great trade. God takes our sin and then he gives us his righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the peace that comes from the gospel. Walk in the peace that God has given us. And we'll be talking about peace as we come into the Advent season. We, we take these Advent uh, themes and we'll talk to you more about that. And then take the, the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and put on the helmet of salvation. So that you've got the, the bell of truth, you've got the breastplate of righteousness, you've got your feet covered, and then you take the shield of faith and you put on the helmet of salvation. These are the things that protect you. The helmet, how important is the helmet? The helmet guards your mind. The helmet of, of salvation guards your mind. The salvation meaning deliverance. The, the root word of salvation means we've been delivered from sin and self and self-destruction. We put on that because where does the battle start? How, where, where does the battle start, you guys? Starts in your mind. As a man thinketh, so is he. The battle starts in your mind. And how many here would admit, I'm going to raise my hand first, that you can conjure up you can conjure up all kinds of scenarios of, of, about somebody else that isn't even true. It isn't even reality. It's not even close. You're the problem. You're the problem. Trying to, like you think, oh, this person doesn't like me, or, or they're mad at me, or, or, or uh, uh, gosh, I think they're, they're probably, this is going to happen, you know, and, and, and I've got to be careful of them. And, and we get all, like, fired up, you know, thinking all kinds of these stories and, and, and it's not even true. It's, it's just so sad. It's sad. It happens to me all the time. I start thinking about what ifs, or, or, or does this person like, you know, just think I'm a jerk, or whatever, or, or did I say something I shouldn't have, or whatever. I'm always. You, we're always dealing with it with these things in the mind. All right, and then finally. Next slide, our offense. We have these five defensive uh, weapons, but we have, we have two offensive weapons. And man, are they powerful. 16, 17b, and 18, verse 18 of chapter 6. It's, it's the 
It's the bookend to the section on spiritual warfare. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So now we've got something that's offensive. You got the shield of faith in one hand, and you got the sword of the spirit in the other. And then uh, pray, petitioning. So the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, pray, petitioning God at all times in the spirit with this in view. Stay alert, watchful, and persevering in prayer for believers everywhere. Now look at you guys. If, if you're in real battle, I don't know how many of you have ever been in the military and you've been in real battle. But if you're in real battle, like you're hyper prepared in case there's going to be uh, an eruption of a battle coming in the next few hours. Like you are, you, 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 you're post, you posted watchmen. Everybody's looking. Where's the enemy at? This is what this verse is talking about. We've got to be alert, watchful, and persevering in prayer and in the word of God. These are our offensive weapons. This is what brings us the victory in God. This is the importance of prayer. Prayer breaks. It breaks the plan of the enemy. It breaks. I know the enemy would have likened, would like to have taken Bill Devon and Jeff Thompson out this week. The enemy would have liked that. In fact, uh, Alex texted us and said, that 99% of Bill's artery was clogged. And the fact that he'd gone into the hospital with chest pains, it saved him from a massive future heart attack because they found the blockage and they were able to release it. See, so, so, so this, is, this is why when we all got the text, we had lots of people praying. We, we prayed for Bill all week long. We prayed for Jeff all week long. And you can say, oh, well, they probably would just have recovered because of the doctors. I say... Doctors are great. I love doctors. Yea, thank God for every doctor. But prayer, prayer is a thousand doctors times a thousand. It breaks things in the spirit. There have been so many answers to prayers here at this church over the years that I just wish we had a, I just wish we could just have a whole list and it would just run for hours of all the prayers that God answers. Prayer will change your life. Okay? If you don't remember anything, remember this. Prayer will change your life. It will change your circumstances. Prayer has even changed history. You know, it was just three little ladies in Pasadena that was praying for a young evangelist who had no reputation whatsoever. And suddenly that, that man, God took him and used him and he changed the world. The man's name was Billy Graham. Three little ladies in Pasadena prayed for Billy Graham for days and days and months and months as he was starting to start this little crusade in L.A. back in 1948. Three ladies, they prayed and they changed history. Prayer changes history. Prayer will change your life. Prayer will change your church. Prayer will change your family. Prayer will change you. This is why there's this, there's, there's this anthem here that concludes the section on spiritual warfare. It's an anthem. And the anthem is, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus answered the enemy every time the enemy said to him, Oh, why don't you worship me? And Jesus gave him the word right back. Why don't you jump off the, to the pinnacle of the temple? Jesus gave him the word right back. And then, and then prayer. And, and, uh, petitioning. Petitioning is, is supplication. It's intense prayer. Like, like you're, you're going after it. Like we went after uh, Bill Devon and Jeff Thompson's healing. We went after it. People were texting me, 
saying, I'm praying intensely for Bill and for Jeff to be all right. And we've got to stay alert, watchful, and persevering. All right, to conclude my message, I'm going to give you seven guidelines here to spiritual warfare. And you, maybe you want, might want to take a picture of this. And I'm, I've only got about two, three minutes left. But this is what will help you have victory. This is what will have, help you have victory in the difficulties of life, in the hard things of life. This is what will get you through, but more. This is what will bring you into ultimate victory. Number one, be ready every single day for spiritual combat. As if you were uh, overseas and in a war, be ready. Realizing the enemy may have a scheme to mess up your life or mess up your day. Secondly, remember we do not wrestle primarily against other people. Our main battle comes from an unseen enemy. So remember, whenever there's a, a personal relational issue, pray in the spirit. Pray uh, that there's something more than this person going on. There's something, there's a scheme, there's a trick of the enemy to mess things up. Number three, consciously put on the full armor of God every morning. And I would just take Ephesians 6, I'd read verses 10 to 18 every single day. I would read it and I would put it on in the spirit. Lord, I put on the helmet of salvation. Protect my thinking today. Lord, take the sword of the spirit. Help me to believe your word today. Lord, take the shield of faith. I'm going to knock down those arrows because I'm going to believe that you're going to see me through. And I'm going to believe that you're for me and not against me. And I'm going to believe that you want to give me an ultimate victory in Christ. That's the, that's the shield of faith. Put on the full armor of God every day. Next slide. Develop a lifestyle of prayer. Start talking to God all day long. I talk to God all day long. Every day. All throughout the day. Just just short little sentences to God. God, I, I, I need your help in this one. Let him know how you feel. Asking for wisdom and direction. Don't ask for wisdom and direction on January 1st for the rest of the year. Ask for wisdom and direction every single day. It will help you immensely. And let the Lord know all the time that you love him. I say to the Lord, Lord, I love you during the middle of the day. Lord, I love you at the end of the day. Lord, I love you. I thank you that you forgive me. I thank you that you care for me. Number five, stay alert, watchful, and sober, persevering in prayer in the midst of all trouble, in the challenges of this culture, and in the weakness of our flesh. And man, I could have a whole message on this current culture. Don't have time for it. And the last two, do not lose heart ever. Jesus said in Luke 18:1, do not lose heart, but pray always. He knows. How many here have ever felt like losing heart? Boy, I have. I, I lose heart when I fail because I'm a performance-based person. I lose heart if I think I've failed. But Jesus says, don't lose heart. Pray always. I do not believe the lies of the enemy. When I was talking about the helmet of salvation, the lies that come into our don't believe lies. Uh, I'm looking at, I'm looking here at, <clears throat> and there's Bob Hemsley. I'm, I'm believing Bob cares for me, likes me. I'm, I'm not believing Bob doesn't like me. I'm protecting myself from lies. <laughs> well, Bob's one of my better friends, so he knows I'm just joking. All right, seven. I learned this from the co-pastor of my first church that I pastored, a man named Jack Wheaton. He always said to me, keep, Jay, keep short accounts with God. Jack Wheaton always said, keep short accounts with God. When you fail, keep short accounts with God. Immediately confess 
and turn from your sin. And if you know you're in sin today in disobedience to God, end that sin and put God first in your life again. Obedience to God saves us from a whole lot of trouble. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whenever you sin, don't wait till next month. Don't wait till next year to confess it. Confess it right then. If, you think something, if you're thinking something that's not right, Lord, I'm, Lord, I confess. I'm thinking something that isn't good. If you do something that you know is wrong, immediately take care of it. That's a promise from the Word of God. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness.